Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 221. We are just at the beginning of the month of Av, Menachem Av, Gimel Av, the period called the Nine Days, the saddest period of the Jewish calendar. During this period, which concludes next Sunday, next Shabbos, but this year it's Nitche, Tisha B'Av is moved off and postponed till Sunday, we hope it will be postponed to the Geula, but in case the Geula Chaz Rishom does not come, it's the saddest day of the Jewish calendar, the 24-hour fast, commemorating and remembering the destruction of both temples, by Yishon and by Sheni, thousands of years ago. Until this day, we still grieve and remember those sad moments, which set in motion the bitter gullus and exile and displacement, both physical and spiritual displacement of, displacement of the Jewish people, until this day, continuing to hope and pray and do everything we can to return to the Holy Land. Miraculously, there are many, many Jews today in Eretz Yisrael, but they still say, because of our sins, we've been exiled. Because exile and displacement is not just a physical thing, it is also a spiritual thing, and primarily a spiritual thing. Why was the temple unable to stand? Because as a result, the whole idea of the temple is you shall build for me a sanctuary, a, a temple, and I shall reside and rest and dwell among you. Among you. If the you is not complete, the residing cannot be complete. And especially in the second temple, due to sinas chinam, baseless hatred, that created a situation when there's no keli. Excuse me. God blesses us when we are one. If the oneness is not there, there cannot be the vishanti besechem in the physical sense of the word, and therefore the besamidish can no longer stand. So it was cause and effect. When we reconnect and reunite and we are eliminate the cause, so the effect is also eliminated, and therefore the temple can be rebuilt in the Bayez Shlishi with Mashiach's coming. This is why the Gemara says in Yerushalmi, any generation that has not rebuilt the temple, it's as if they destroyed the temple. Why are we at fault? Why are the people in this generation or any generation at fault? We were not there when that happened. Because it's not just what happened then. It's a perpetual effect as a result of the ongoing iniquities and the ongoing disconnect and breaches, both among us, the breach between us and ourselves, and the breach between us and God. So essentially, it's like a three-triad type of unity, a unity person with themselves, at peace with their nefesh alikis, with their nefesh abamis, and they both together, with both sides, they serve God. The second breach is a breach between us and others, and our benodam l'chavere, others, and that in turn also creates the inability to have the, the Shekhinah to reside among us. And then there's the breach as a result of the first two between us and the divine. So the repair is also in all those three areas. And that's the Aveda, the work that we need to do in the nine days today. And that's a perpetual effect on the negative side and a perpetual effect on the positive side as well. That's our job. And what is that work? The work is to connect with each other in Achtus. Mishpat is Teda, Teda unites, especially the halachas and Mishnayis of Teda. Mishnayis comes from the word Miskanses, 
the Gemara says, the Medr says that Niskansis uh, Megolius through Mishnayis. That means because Mishnayis unites us and therefore brings us back together and reunites us. And so for Shaver B'Zdaka, of course, charity is, is the ultimate connector as we charitable with each other and kind to each other, both monetary-wise and in every possible way. That's the work we do. And the Rebbe, especially in the later years in Tov Shalom and Hey and On, turned it into even more emphasizing the necessity to do everything possible to transform these days. In Tov Shalom Hey, it was actually a Fabrengen, Erev Rishchedesh Av, the Rebbe began the Fabrengen in a very unique way. He said, even though it's at the beginning of the nine days and it doesn't seem appropriate to have a Fabrengen, but there's a din, that klezmer, people who get paid, to play music, are allowed to play music in the nine days because it's a parnosa. The Rebbe said, since this is my parnosa, making a fabreng and so on, therefore he's able to do that, and not only able to do it, does it. And the Rebbe came out that year with the making of siyumim, even though the, the minig was there already, but made it a very public thing that people which make siyumim each of the nine days, because a siyum brings a, a, a simcha, a joy that's permitted in the nine days. Some use it to eat meat, but by Chabad, the meaning is that we don't necessarily eat meat as a result, but the simcha that comes from Gemara Shalteira, from ending a Masechta, that's there. Also, the beginning of the, the, the Takona, the Rebbe then established the learning of Hilchus Beis Abchira, the laws of the Beis Amigdash, both in Rambam and in Mishnayis in Midas, Masechta Midas, a bit of Masechta Tomid, but Aved in the Beis Amigdash, and in the Psukim, in Yecheskel, where he talks about the measurements and the specifications and the configurations of the third temple. And Kola Asik, the Gemedr says, whoever studies this is as if they rebuild it. So this becomes the opportunity, even though on one hand it's the dark days, but within that darkness, Chassidus explains, lies the deepest type of light. But you cannot just force that light out. You have to do it in the proper Tehidika way and use it in days that ultimately lead to Yehovchi Yomimeil, L'Sosin L'Simcha, L'Mayedim Tevi the transformation of these days to joy and, and uh, celebration and to holidays, as it will be when Mashiach comes, as we discussed in the previous weeks. In the nine days itself, in a few days will be, the Shechei we spoke about is the Yorzeit of the Arna Kayin, who emphasized Ardus, again, the Eves Abrius and Mekarvan Letera, Eves Sholem Vereidav Sholem, Eves Abrius and Mekarvan Letera, Ava, love, unity, and the fifth of all is the yard site of the Arizal, who's also stood out in history as a unifier of literally all groups of Eden, Ashkenazim, Sfadim, Chassidim, non-Chassidim today. They weren't Chassidim then, but everybody followed Arizal to the point that Morgan Avram uses Arizal to be a basis of many halachas that we follow. The Kabbalah Shabbos, especially the Chodedi and the beginnings of Kabbalah Shabbos are based on Arizal, Arizal's Tamidim, Arizal's colleagues, and so on. Darizal was a unifier, uniter. So let's share a few words about Darizal, as in Heyov, being that the Yosef Darizal. So Magdim Rafula Maka, again the unity, and especially one that comes through Primisatir. Primisatir is again a uniter. Interesting to note that the Yosef of another one of the another major force in Primisatir, the first Rashbi, Rashim Bayechay, is when like Baimer, middle of Svirasaimer. Which is also due to Lainogu Kovid Zebazeh. They didn't honor each other. And Ajbi was also a uniter. So you have these forces that help us deal with and counterbalance the dichotomy and the dissonance and the divisiveness of this period in time. In Tovshin Lamed Hay, actually, the year I mentioned, 
was a very interesting year because the Rebbe spoke a lot then about the three weeks and the nine days and really you could see from there on every year it only intensified that approach of doing everything possible to transform these days. So much, such a, uh, such a staple of the Rebbe's approach to find the good even in the darkest. The Rebbe then spoke Sichas and Maimorim, he was Magia, a Maimor from Achbegedel, and then a Maimor Tzimba Mishpatipoda, and a second Maimor of Tzimba Mishpatipoda. He also spoke, said a Hadran then, and that was on um, Shabbos, Shabbos Chazayin that year, it was Dalad Benachemov, the head of the day before the, the Hilula of the Harizal. The Rebbe made a Sim, and the Sim was about um, on the Mesechtas, um, the Mesim was on the Mesecht, because uh, the Rebbe said about making Siyum, so the Rebbe himself made a, a Siyum. Siyum on Mesecht Amoyed Cotton, which of course is from the Mesecht that talks about Avelis and therefore permitted to learn on Tishabov. And the Rebbe brought there the Atayra of the Rizal, the Kutte Hashas, the Rizal. I'm not going to go through the whole Arichas, I just want to point out one thought. And this is printed, if you want to look it up, it's printed in Chelek Yudalad, Lekut Yisichis, in the Hesophis, page 173 and on. So the Rebbe goes through a whole, the whole Hadran on the Talmud. The Mishnah ends, Scholars do not have peace, not in this world, not in the world to come, which is the Siyam Masech Tebrochus, and also in the Siyam Masech Tebmoyed Cotton. And you can look up the details. But one thing he brought there is a tater from the Arizal, on that, and that is connects it to the Pasuk that says in Tehillim, Kuvdalad, Kav Gimel, it says, Yotza Adam Lefale, Ade Arav. A person goes out to work, Ade Arav, till the evening. So that is all interprets this, that this is talking about Ade Arav means you're working in Elam Hazah. He goes out to the work in Elam Hazah, Ade Arav. He Eved Vesherachem, Ade Arav, Sem Sheyigmer Elam Hazah, Hademela Erev. This world is compared to evening. So you, we work till the evening of this world in order to earn our reward in Elam Malaosid in Achrat when it will be Menucha Molar is Deis Hashem. Kol Echod according to his level. So that is all in type, Titus Ade Orav, the work in Elam Hazav for Elam Habu. Kol Echod Lave. He brings interesting two other interpretations in this Posik. One from the Balshamtav and one from the Magid. The Balshamtav and the Magid, sorry, one from the Balshamtav and one from the Al Tadeb, excuse me. Based on a, this is a Maimer from the Fidik Rebbe. The Maimer is on this Pasuk, in Seif Maimorim Yiddish, page 200. Pirush of the Baal is, every Nesham has a Shlichus for which it descends below, and that's Yotz Adam Lafole, that the person goes out, that means the Nesham goes out of its natural place, goes, comes down below, like to fulfill this mission. He has to fulfill his job as long as he still has the time till the deadline. So Adiyarov, he interprets basically uh, but using all your days to the fullest in this world. Then he brings the Al-Tarebbe's Taich, a third Taich. Sarizal, Baal Shemtev, Al-Tarebbe. When a person begins doing his work with Kabbalah Seel, that's the Diyuk Lefole, from the word Kabbalah Seel, to do it with the yoke of heaven upon you, in other words, with a total commitment, so that Nasal of Adasi Ade Arav, he touches Arav from the word Arev, sweet. And it brings him great joy and pleasure. And then the Rebbe goes on to explain all three interpretations. That is, Al talked about Yehudim and Kabbalah, 
His Indian's Kabbalah. So he talks about the Aved of this world as it brings us to higher worlds. That's the Indian of Kabbalah. The Baal Tov taught us how every Jew can and must serve his mission, Adi Arev, which is, of course, fitting to his interpretation. And Al Tarebbe is Behesim to what Al Tarebbe taught us how to serve. The Baal Tov taught us every person could serve, how to serve. So, how do you serve? You serve by doing that with Kabbalah sale, and through that, you turn it into a sweet and, and blessed and joyous experience. But here's the interesting thing. At the end of this Sikhir, the Rebbe edited, he added, on Zayim and Achamov, there's Hesofa Biksav, he added in his manuscript, In other words, this Sikhir was from Shabbos and the Rebbe edited. On Zayim and Achamov, the Rebbe added his own interpretation in this Posik. Very rare to see this so blatant, a fourth interpretation. And here's the Rebbe's Taich. He wrote that these days should be transformed, starting from today. He teaches Adam, not on the Adam. The first three interpretations is us, whether it's the work in the Elam Haza in this world, or the work in fulfilling our shlichus, or the work through Kabbalah Sale that brings joy and, and sweetness. The Abishter will go out of his so called natural place. Lefale, pale Yeshua is Bekerevaris, to affect salvations in the depths of this earth. Kelekim Yeshiatsiim, Vivna Ori Yehuda. Elishabishta should bring salvation to Tsiin and save Tsiin and rebuild Ori Yehuda, the cities of Judah. And the Rebbe says, like the Mishnah says, Besim Sechta made cotton, or Mach Hashem Alekim, Dimam Al Kopoim, the Abishta will erase all the tears from all faces. So the Rebbe teaches all this, and he goes on to teach on Sadiqim, the bottom line is, he's teaching this on Yatsa Odom, on the Eibishter. So when we do our work, the Eibishter will do his part, job, and finish the job, and bring the Geula. So I thought it interesting just to point this out, seeing being that we're talking about Heyov, and uh, the connection, of course, to these days of transforming the Orev, the darkness, into sweetness. To transform darkness to light and bitterness to sweet. Because essentially this really is loaded and packed with inner such positive energy, but there are times you have to reveal it through the Aveda because of the difficulties that we go through in life and the challenges that we went through since the time of the destruction of the Temple. And may it all happen immediately in our time through our finishing our job we don't even have to wait till next Shabbos. Shabbos Chazain is this Shabbos as well. The Shabbos always before Tishabov, this or Tishabov. When we say Chazain Yeshayah, the vision of Yeshayah, we'll talk about that at the end of this program in the Chassidus question. So let's talk now a few questions that were asked, but let's start with a little housekeeping. Firstly, this is the place where you can send every question you have. Nothing is off limits at meaningfullife.com slash my life. There's a forum, anonymous forum, where you can ask and comment and write anything you wish. And we're getting to all the questions. We're a little behind, but we'll get to them. And, uh, and thank God you've been sending excellent questions. I'm trying my best to do my best in trying to respond and trying to also elicit your responses if you have thoughts or comments or answers or directives or even your own thoughts that you think can help the conversation going, uh, keep the conversation going. 
and add your dimension to it, please don't hesitate to do so in this forum. You'll also find there a wide array of, of uh, resources, the archives of all previous episodes, which are all timestamped. At the YouTube, you can actually find it by topic and go to the section you want to listen to. We have now 220 episodes up there. Of course, also the essays of the past four years or three years of essay contests. And now we're already posting the fourth, um, uh, the fourth uh, years of essays of this year, as well as please take note to this, that these programs are free. A lot of work goes into them and we depend on your support and your sponsorship to sponsor these programs. Please consider sponsoring a program in honor of a loved one, in memory of a loved one, any way you see fit, and going to MyMeaningfulLife.com forward slash sponsorship. Okay, with that, let us go to a question that's directly related to um, the, the Tishabov. But for that, I want to give a little cross-referencing of other programs, earlier programs where we spoke about nine days, five Chamisha of, of I don't think I ever spoke about Chamisha, the, the Hey of, rather, and Shabbos Chazain, but the, the nine days in Shabbos Chazain, episodes 28, 75, 76, 125, 126, 172, 173, and 220. So let us go now to the next question. The question is, quality versus quantity. Do I need to say the entire kinus on Tisha B'av when I don't understand it and it's uninspiring? Here's the full question. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, Tisha B'av is approaching and it is always a dreaded day where I spend time in shul reading Hebrew words I don't understand, which brings me absolutely no inspiration or yearning for the rebuilding of the Beis HaMikdash. I've heard you suggest in the past regarding similar issues like this that one should focus on one part of the text, for example, etc. My question now is, is it okay to skip? What I mean is, I am a limited person with limited time and can only go to shul for X amount of hours. Is it better to not say all of the kinus and say some study some in English to bring meaning, which means I can't finish it, or saying the asius, the words, the letter is very important and something which cannot be skipped. The same question to Tilim and Shabbos Mavarchim. We're accustomed to say the whole Tilim, Shabbos Mavarchim in the morning, the Shabbos when we bless the new month. If I have an hour or two hours Shabbos morning to dedicate to Tehillim, to Psalms, is it better to say 25 kapitla with meaning, or is the ikad to recite the words and I should have Kabbalah sale and finish the whole thing even though it's a time where I space out and think about everything going on in my life. Same question with hard poetic nusachs and yom tevim. Is it okay to focus on a small section, sections, say it well, and skip the rest? Is there an Indian from Chazal better a small amount with quality than a large amount without quality? Yet for some reason I sense I might feel guilty not finishing everything, or is, it, or, or is that just my Yetzirah telling me not to focus on a bit with inspiration? Thank you so much. Very good question. I believe I've addressed similar questions in the past. I didn't find exactly where, but it's fine. We'll discuss it now. It's a very good question. The kinus that we say in Tishabov. So the Eicha is relatively short, but the kinus is pages and pages. And yes, a lot of it, especially if, even if you know Hebrew, it's quite cryptic, especially if you don't know Hebrew. So the question is an excellent question. I have seen different um, thoughts that the Rebbe has but not directly on Kinus and of course there's the Dinah Shulchan Aruch about Yom Kippur that the Alter Rebbe says better say one prayer Yom Kippur with Kavona than just to say a lot of lip service 
which is which doesn't mean we shouldn't say other tefillas. So I would go with this very practical approach based on all of this. And again, I invite anybody, if someone has a different directive or something in writing that I'm not aware of or something I'm missing, I invite you, I, I will, I'm happy to stand corrected or modify or perhaps be, be, be uh, confirm what I'm sharing now. So please don't hesitate to respond in any way you see fit. So my view on the matter would be, based on the Shulchan Aruch from the Al-Tarev Kippur, based on some different directives, it's not a black and white, one size fits all. Obviously there are fundamental prayers like Shema, Shemeneser, I'm talking now generally, I'm not talking Tisha B'Av now per se. We'll get to Tisha B'Av in a moment. That should be said even if you don't fully understand it because you say there's the prayers and they're necessary prayers. But yes, I would suggest, especially if a person is working on himself, is to find a prayer or two or three or four or five that you can focus on, understand Pirish Hamilis, the meaning of it, and perhaps go a little deeper in thinking about it. Ms. Bonanus, Dachsidus, talks about contemplation. The second thing is to take a learn Pirish Hamilis. It's a good opportunity to maybe have a class or read on your own and learn to read. So even if you don't understand all the depth of the prayer, at least you understand the meaning of the words. Then there's saying words that you don't even understand. I would mix the, all the above. Especially, I'm talking now, not Shachus Min of a regular day. Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. There's nothing wrong with taking a prayer where you really apply it to yourself. And especially with the Kavonas Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur that, you, that, work with, that work for you. And then there are other prayers you could say more, we'll call like, just like in learning, there's Le'iyun and there's Le'girseh. There's, in other words, you're learning some things in depth and other things you just read and you know the basic surface level interpretation, Peter Shamilis. And for the things that you don't have Peter Shamilis, there isn't Inyan saying these words, because the words are holy words. David HaMelech said, may it be your will that my words, my mouth should be the prayers that people say. So when we say Tehillim, Shavarchim, or other prayers, they have power. So even though, obviously, tefillah b'loi kavona is not a complete tefillah and sometimes considered like body without a soul, but nevertheless, to say there's no power to tefillah, especially b'tzibur, where you're saying it with many others, and the shliach tzibur who does have the kavona and does understand, which is one of the reasons we have a chazan, to represent those that don't necessarily know the am shabbesada or others that don't know, know the interpretations, there is an inyan in it. But the balance, I think, has to be balanced properly. There's nothing wrong with saying some things like that. Better to say with Peter Shamilis as much as best as best as to the best of your ability, and take a few prayers that you prepare for, and you actually really go a little more deeper into it. And it's a good exercise in general because then every Rosh Hashanah, every Yom Kippur, Shabbos Mivarchim, you can then say, okay, this week I'm going to this this week this month I'm going to focus on this capital. Maybe your capital that connects to your birthday, which you say every day. So that's worthwhile learning and understanding it a little deeper. Remember, we're not talking about learning now, we're talking about davening, but understand the words. As far as kinders go, I would apply the same idea. I don't think it's a mitzvah that I said for every person to go ahead and have to say every word in the kinders. You could say it, and I'm not definitely coming and advocating not to say it, but if a person really cares and you really want it to be engaging, I think it's wise to take something with translation, the, in English or whatever language works for you, focus on some central themes. You know, there are books today that are some good companions to Kinnus. So you get at least the story, the general gist of what we are crying for and the whole Kinnus. Then based on your time, focus the rest of the time, either saying with Pirish Hamilis with translation or 
Even just reading Kabbalah sale is also an Indian. So I can't tell you exactly what percentage, how to cut the pie, so to speak. Maybe that's not a good analogy for Tishabov, But how to, how to allocate your time in which way. But I think a combination of the above is the practical way. And this is something maybe to speak to with your mashpia, who may know you better. And, and go away with, because you're not, the goal here, and I take this question very at face value, is not someone that's lazy or just wants to avoid doing it. So you really care, and I sense it in the words. And I think that sincerity is very valuable to Hashem. And that's the most important thing. God wants your heart. And the most important thing with the heart is that your feeling is there and your intention is there. The words, as I said, I would use the three different approaches in some type of mix as time allows and as your temperament allows. Okay, next question. This is connected. Oh, let me just say something about Shabbos Mavarchim. Shabbos Mavarchim, it seems from a number of directives from the Rebbe, that it is worthwhile saying the whole Tilim, even if you don't understand it, because the words have the power. And Tilim in general is not something necessarily fully understandable as it is. So there I would probably put more emphasis that even if you don't understand, even if you don't know Pirush Amilas, there's something to be said about saying the whole thing, because it has the power of Amiras Tilim has a certain power. I don't know if it has the same quite emphasis, the same with Kinus or others. That I can't say for sure. I don't have authority to say that. But with Tilim, I would probably lean that it should be said even if you don't have full understanding of the words. It still doesn't hurt to have a few kapitlach, as I said, that you can relate to. And that could be, you can focus on more. And the rest you can say more on the, on the surface level uh, um, uh, recitation. Let us go to another question now. Shattered dignity. What can a person do when his dignity, Malchus, was broken in childhood? Hi, Rabbi. In episode 220, you speak about Malchus' dignity and its effect on the essence. That was last week. I spoke about the nine days and now Malchus is dignity, the dignity of the human soul, the dignity of the human being. Malchus, dignity, sovereignty, Malchus kite, Malchus dikite. As you feel like a melech, you feel like a malka, queen or a king, king or a queen. So that's what I spoke about, the effect on the essence of a person. In your essay, 42 Journeys, this is referring to, I did a series of essays actually, interpreting based on the Baal Shem Tov's Teda that we all go through in our lives, 42 Journeys, so I did a 42-journey explanation. You can find it online on our website, MeaningfulLife.com. So it says in your essay, 42 Journeys, the first two journeys is about the loving foundation a child needs in order to face life. What can a person do when his childhood broke his malchus? I'm shy with no self-esteem, struggle from depression and anxiety. I did therapy, which made an impact, but my dignity is still broken. With a weak mental health, the burden and fear of earning a livelihood and the guilt of Teira is overbearing. I don't socialize much because of my low self-esteem and social anxiety. It breaks my heart and I cry with self-pity, which isn't okay. And the person writes, See Lukut volume 10, page 148, 149. The only chizuk I have is from your classes. Thank you. Well, it breaks my heart to hear this. Every time I hear someone speak about this in such a blunt way, and even if you don't speak about it, it breaks one's heart. And, um, and it is fitting to speak about in these nine days because nine, 10 minus 9 is malchus, the shvira, the begam ha-malchus. 
the wound in Malchus, the wound in the moon, in Pigam Halavona, which is, as Darizal says, is what Tisha B'Av does. Because at the heart of the heart, of the, the destruction of the Beis Amidish, as I mentioned before, was what? God residing between, in each one of our hearts and souls. So what is the effect when the Beis Amidish is destroyed? There's a part in our heart that gets destroyed. And what part? Malchus. Chochme can be intact. Mechen, you can understand things. Even though it affected the churban, affected all the spheres and all the faculties, but still, the one most vulnerable is the moon. The moon, the makabal, it gets hurt most. The child, the inner child gets hurt most. The dignity of a human being gets hurt most in the destruction. So even if the meichen and the midas, chabad, chagas, nehi, remain somewhat intact, malchus, which is what it says in Kabbalah when it talks about shfirah sakelim, that that Ara, the earth, gets under, gets destroyed. So the Shvira happens maybe on higher levels. On some of the higher levels, it's not a direct break and shattering, but Malchus gets hurt most. The feminine energy. And within each of us, the Makabal, each one's the, the, the inner soul, the inner vulnerable soul. But all hope is not lost. That's exactly the point of nine days. We can repair it and reintroduce number 10. Malchus. And that's by giving each other dignity. What's ultimately seen as chinam? Why is it so terrible? So on a very basic level, it's obviously divisiveness is a terrible thing. A broken family, a broken home, a broken nation cannot stand. They can't be strong. So we fight with each other. But on a deeper level, when you dislike someone, what you're doing is violating their dignity. Each person by birthright, has what God endowed us with malchus, with dignity. And we deserve to be cared about, we deserve to be loved, we deserve to be respected. And when there's lack of respect, you are essentially abusing and violating and betraying the dignity of another. And truth is, you're betraying your own dignity too. But you may not know that. That's quite as obvious. Because we're all bound together, we all need each other. So, you describe your situation. What can you do when a childhood breaks our malchus? You rebuild malchus. It's called tikkun ha-malchus. Binyan malchus. We talk about it during the 10 days of tshuva, binyan ha-malchus. But binyan ha-malchus also now, during these nine days, which ultimately lead, by the way, to the 10 days of tshuva, because from the ashes of Aryeh, of the month of Av, which mazl is Aryeh, the Leo, lion. Aryeh is Rosh Hashanah, El Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Hishayin but we already begin building Malchus in the nine days itself. When you do Tzim by Mishpat, part of we connect and unite through learning Torah, especially in the matters about Beis Amikdash and God residing among us. The Beis Amikdash corresponds to the human body. Beis Amikdash corresponds to the human spirit. We're a reflection of it, like a microcosm. And we give charity, Shavar B'Zdaka. So what do we do? We're paida. The, and redeem the hostages, the hostages that, whose dignity has been robbed from them, whose dignity has been stolen. So there's ways to repair. We have the healing. And individually, this means building your malchus. Building your malchus means finding people that respect you, finding activities that give you self-respect and self-esteem, be involved in projects that do that, behavioral 
behaving in a dignified way creates inner dignity as well. So you build and compensate and you fill the, the void that, that has been taken, the void that was created by the dignity being broken. Shvidus HaKelim, yes, there's a shattering, but there's also a tikkun that comes afterwards, the tikkun, the sakan elim b'melchus shin So, in sum, it's about doing things, it's about studying about your soul, it's about learning to value yourself, finding people that value you, and staying away from harm's way, stay away from people who are hurtful, stay away from people who are insulting, stay away from people who are invalidating, look for people who reinforce you, that make you feel that uplifted, that make you feel distinguished, malchuzdik. That is the work. And when each of us does it properly, and we help each other and they help us, we build that malchus and rebuild the malchus to be worthy of having the ten and have the v'shachanti b'seichem return to us even with more intensity. Episodes 164 and 207, I speak about this some more. So that's a good cross-reference. Now, in following up last week's episode, so I discussed last week about trauma, how some experts feel that when somebody leaves what they call OTD, someone literally in a dramatic way radically shifts their lives from what they grew up with, that usually it's connected to some type of trauma, something, some wiring that was shifted. So that evoked quite a number of comments and questions, and obviously it was quite controversial. So I'm going to read a selection of them, and some of them led into opening up a whole new door of other topics related to this. So let's cover that right now. The most dramatic of questions was, can we say that trauma, based on what you described, can we say that trauma is a cause for people to become Bali Tshuva and drastically change their lives? In other words, the other direction, coming into Yiddishkeit. So let's read the questions exactly as they were written. And again, this is a good invitation for all of you to please join the fray, join the dialogue and the discussion. Okay, put this aside. So here is what we have. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, thank you for the time you put in each week in your broadcast, which certainly make Torah and applicable to the masses. You spoke last week about how according to many professionals of who you respect, quote-unquote, that in order for someone to openly defy their upbringing and break away so radically, leave the comfort of their family and community, etc., there's often abuse involved, and the person's wiring gets messed up as they associate the abuse with the source, religious person, or way of life, because it is simply toxic and brings painful memories. My question is, do you think the same concept applies to all or almost all Balei Tshuva, especially the ones who go to yeshiva and become Lubavitchers with all the minhagim and garb, with all the customs and garb. I'm a BT bacher, a Balchuva bacher, for a few years near, who made the tra- for a few years near, who made the transition of becoming from, and have learned in yeshiva a couple of years, and have now have, and now have the full garb. I have horrible memories growing of my alcoholic father, who had a bad temper and was both physically and verbally abusive to myself, mother and siblings. He would yell, hit, and humiliate undeservedly in our home to solve things he wasn't happy with. I wound up subsequently hating the fake reform temple that we attended, 
God, and got disgusted as a child when I sat next to him. And the services, the few times a year we would stand, we would attend Shabbosim and Yom Tevim. Shabbos meals, Yom Kippur, anything associated with this man's God was disgusting to me. Because I knew if this is what this evil monster was doing, it certainly isn't God or truth. Later in my life, later in life, I met a shliach, attended classes, read up on Torah, and went on to yeshiva, totally going against my upbringing and community. I gravitated towards the beauty of Torah and mitzvahs, especially illuminated by chassidus. Would you say that all or almost all Baal Tshuvas share my same story? Don't get me wrong, I love to learn and grow in Yiddishkeit, and I believe in what I do. But could I, we, just be escaping the toxic, toxic dysfunctional upbringing and be biased in favor of the philosophical arguments in support of Torah because of the pain I experienced in my upbringing, which lead me to conclude that my childhood way of life was certainly false. Like you said, people feel have a comfort with their communities and families. So is there some wiring messed up here as well for those who make say, such radical jumps? Your last broadcast has inadvertently got me thinking nonstop this week, has brought back painful memories, and I turn to you for guidance and your opinion on this matter, as I am a seeker of truth. Well, letters like this always leave me somewhat breathless because of their personal nature, someone sharing the sacred confidence of their personal journey. So I want to just always acknowledge that because I believe that is it's a deeply uh, touching and humbling to be able to be addressed and trusted to be able to speak on a topic that is so personal. So with that said, let me respond. It's an excellent question. And I think life is very complex, especially when you deal with different individuals. There's no way that one size fits all. I didn't suggest last week, and I will not suggest now, either direction, a person changes radically their lives, whether they leave, at least temporarily or externally, the, the home that they grew up with from Yiddishkeit, the other, away from it, or the other way around, into Yiddishkeit, Every person is different, and we have to respect every person's unique journey, and above all, respect the mystery, the mystery and the mystique of the journey, because this, at the end of the day, is God's mysterious choreography. Who he, whose who's family, whose soul will go into which family, whose soul will be brought up in what type of home, functional, dysfunctional, as I've spoken about many times. So we are the least equipped to really understand God's mysterious ways. Why would he put certain people through different experiences that are traumatic? So of course there's free will, but still, the person who's going through it is not the one that had the free will. Meaning God already destined that this person would have to go through it. So I will not even venture to try to guess or speculate on that. And yet we know that God does not give anyone a challenge that we cannot overcome. And we know that God is compassionate and loving and kind. So whether we understand that all times or not, doesn't change that fact. And that means we are empowered with all the tools necessary. So regarding the question itself, let's remember there's also the concept of metech the Gemara says in the Rambam sites at the end of the laws of Tshuva, a person should always, this is the initial approach, should always serve God, Perform Torah mitzvahs for ulterior motives. 
From the ulterior motives, they'll come to selfless motives. Doing it for the meaning, doing it for the, for the cause itself, not because of any motive. And he says there, except Avram Avinu, the Rambam says, who he performed and kept truth because it was true. Everybody else has a motive. It could be physical reward. It could be spiritual reward. This incentive, that incentive. It could be where you grew up. So yes, there's no question. Someone growing up in a from beautiful environment, they have a big head start because it's, they didn't take any effort. It's a gift given to them. We're talking now, let's say, in healthy and there's no trauma. They didn't, there was no Aveda involved. To say that person objectively chose, it's not even necessary they have to objectively chose. They were given a gift. Everyone's going to be born in a family. And every family is going to cause subjective biases. We hope it'll be subjective biases that are for the good. Growing up in a healthy home, of course you're going to have certain perspectives. Healthy perspectives. Nobody wants to suggest that everybody should be given a clean slate. Go out in the street and figure out on your own objectively what's true. Children are impressionable. And it's the obligation of parents and educators to give them the best. And then give them also the confidence to explore further and let them own it and let them personalize it and let them grow and let them find their own unique way of playing the music. But of course you want to have that. So everyone has a shalei element. Lei doesn't always mean bad. It, you, that's what you do. You teach a child and you say, we'll give you a candy, we'll give you a prize. You'll be rewarded, you'll be reinforced, you'll be smiled at. Even things you don't say directly. The child knows they will be valued when they do that. Obviously, in a healthy home, you don't devalue someone because they didn't live up to your expectations. But the idea of feeling supported and feeling incentivized and feeling that type of motivation, and healthy competition, is all part of the motivation. The same thing is, is, is when you talk about a Baal coming becoming a Baal There could be many factors that are not necessarily just a pure search for truth. There are some people like that. Some people are transcendent and spiritual in nature. But there's some people, yes, maybe their lives are not working. And why are their lives not working? Because without Teir Mitzvahs, the healthy Teir Mitzvahs, a, a false or hollow type of Judaism is not going to work. I wouldn't say hollow Judaism because it's not Judaism. But the impression of Judaism. And sometimes without a God, people become immoral. And you see that. So, of course, there's many reasons to say the secular world is an immoral world or, or moral relativism. And that's a very attractive thing about Judaism. It gives you a certain absolute, especially in Luxidus, and you learn in a healthy way. So it could very well be you're running from a burning building. So? So what? Maybe God set that up so it should give you more motivation. And for that reason, a person can To say everyone's that way, obviously that's not the case. The idea of making a radical shift, most likely, yes, usually it takes some type of radical event. Now, it doesn't always mean trauma. It could be trauma, like you describe your own childhood with the alcoholic father. But it could also be other things. It could be seeing the emptiness of the material world, seeing the emptiness of your education, seeing that it's lacking a spiritual direction, it's lacking transcendence, seeing hypocrisy. It doesn't always have to be overt abuse. Now you'll say, what about a person? Why can't a person come to a philosophical understanding that Judaism is not for them? Because Judaism, when you study properly, it leaves room for a lot of different ways to practice and a lot of different ways to appreciate it. Why would someone need to change their lifestyle? Is it because they stop believing purely belief? There are many people who dress the lifestyle, go along, and don't internally necessarily feel they believe. 
Why do some people have to make that statement? That's what I addressed last week. I'm not going to go over that again. So my answer is yes and no, meaning it's possible, but it doesn't mean every circumstance. And every person has to be respected for their journey. And I would not go and venture that there's one formula that explains all people becoming Balachuva, or there's one formula for explaining how all people so-called go away externally, at least temporarily, from Yiddishkeit. That's my response. And we can talk about this some more. It's a big topic. I'd love to hear more feedback on this matter. Another person continuing that, why people change their life in a drastic way. You mentioned that people go because of abuse, and you mentioned three types of abuse. You seemingly passed over verbal and physical abuse quickly and elaborated on sexual abuse. I find that there's a lot of verbal abuse, which I've heard from a professional that in a lot of cases it's worse than physical or sexual abuse by teachers and parents. Can I ask you to please bring to light that verbal abuse? That, that, can, you, can I ask you to please bring to light that verbal abuse can be very detrimental? Thank you. I appreciate, well, appreciate. Thank you for that point. Absolutely right. I did not mean to minimize one abuse over the other. Verbal abuse, emotional abuse, reprimanding, humiliation can be horrible, like bullying and so on can be. So I didn't mean to minimize, I wasn't comparing abuses, all abuse is abuse, and they all, they all attack and violate the human dignity that I spoke, the malchus in a person. So yes, that's correct, and that can definitely also have strong impact in dramatic ways. Okay. Another follow-up was about pushed-off fast. Two weeks ago, we spoke about Shavasar Batama's Nitche, like Tishbov this week is going to be Nitche, meaning it's postponed to Sunday. So the person who, who asked last week the question, I asked in return, please clarify your question, said, thank you for taking my question last week. You asked me to follow up to clarify my question. What I did not understand was what lesson the Rebbe Marash was trying to teach as opposed to what the previous Rebbe was trying to elaborate and by his additions to the words of the Rebbe Marash. Okay, so he's referring to a sikha, as I read last week, in Chilik Lamed Gimel, yes, about Midbar Sikha, a Shavos Batama Sikha, page 156 in volume 33 in Lakut Sikhas. The Rebbe cites there, and I'm specifically emphasizing this because it's also relevant to Tishabov, even though Tishabov and Shavos Batamas have differences. Friedrich Rebbe in a, in tells in a Yud based Tamas Sikha Tov Shin, that would be 78 years ago that in the year Tafresh Mem, the year that Friedrich Rebbe was born, right? that would be a hundred and eight, a hundred and uh, Tafshin Mem, uh, it was a hundred and thirty-eight years ago, right? Tafresh Mem to Tafshin Mem, Nun Samach Ayin, 138 years ago. And it was Shabbos Kedesh Yud Zayin Tamaz, that the Rebbe Marash was Besim Chigdela, that Shabbos. So this would be literally five days after the Friedrich Rebbe was born. And he mentioned a number of times that this Shabbos is called Nitche. Because the same of Shabbos is in Nitche is postponed till because of Shabbos. And he was Messiah, he concluded, Halavai she Nitche Bamis. Halavai, may it be that it should be completely postponed. The Rebbe goes on to say that the Friedrich Rebbe then said, following that, that Abrocha Vatzadik gets is fulfilled, and Halavai, that that's how it should be, and it should be Nitche Bamis. And Yehovah l'sasun l'simcha. Should be transformed to joy and celebration. So the Rebbe asked at the end of the what's the Friedrich Rebbe adding to what the Rebbe Marash says? And he explains, based first on a whole nigla discussion of the two opinions, where the whole nitche comes from, given the itche, itche is an expression from Rabbeinu HaKadosh's opinion regarding Tisha B'av, that um, 
Now when Tisha was Chol Shabbos and you push it off to Shabbos, his opinion was since Hayol Venitcha Yitcha, it should be pushed off and postponed for. The Chacham didn't follow that, did not agree, and that's why we do have a fast. Rebbe explains the difference between the two of them. You can look it up in the Sicha. But he concludes that the two stages here, the Rebbe Marash is like two stages in the transformation of the fast. One is that it should be postponed. And that's what the Rebbe Marash is talking about. And then comes the next step, that it should be transformed. The Sosan Simcha. And that's what the Friedrich Rebbe is saying. That that be'emes, it should be nitche be'emes, that true postponement, even deeper than a marash, it should be a transformation. So I'm not sure why the question is such a strong question. It's basically two stages, that when it happens on Shabbos, Shabbos exposes that, because a Shabbos is, pushes over the fast. Why? Because really, a fast has a positive side, yem ratzon la'ashem, like he says here, it's eis ratzon. So Shabbos reveals that component. Like Rabbeinah Kodesh is strong enough to reveal it in a way that it should be pushed off entirely, like it will be in the future. The Rabbonans say, no, the Chachamim say, no, not yet, we're still fasting, we're still not in the future yet. So the Rebbe is saying the same thing is in the Nitche itself, there's two elements. There's one pushing off and just revealing the positive element in it, but the fast is pushed off, and then there's deeper, the fast itself is transformed, like Iskafi and Ishapcha in a way. Through first refraining and then transforming, as he concludes in the Sikh. Okay, let's cover that. Then there is a, a few more questions and the Chsiz question and the essays. Next question is about parenting. Okay, it's a question that comes up from time to time, parenting. So I decided I'll take one of the parenting questions and obviously refer you to a whole bunch of per, uh, programs I did on this topic already before. And those are episodes 17, 41, 42. 49, 100, 102, 109, 156, and 165. That's where I discussed parenting in previous episodes. Here is how a person writes the question now. How to be a good parent? A parent that will fit the children of today. How to control anger towards them. How to deal with chutzpah. What should we put our foot down? What should we put our foot down? Or when should we put our foot down? What should we let pass? For young ages three and up, I read many parenting books, never knowing which direction is right. Reading some books makes you feel you might create a monster. I would love the deep background that is from the Rebbe, our sages, how to bring up children, and our sages, how to bring up children. And what is the job for the mother, and what is the job for the father? Today, the mothers have to be strong with fathers not being home enough. How to control this mix-up of life today. Thank you, bless you, Rabbi Simon, with a life filled with abundance for the job you do in changing many lives. I don't know if I can cover all the questions, so firstly, as I said, I referred to previous episodes, but I will say a few key points, especially from the Rebbe in our time. There's an expression, Yemin Mekareves Susmel Decha. The most important thing to remember is that children need validation, and they need love, and they need nurturing. Even when discipline is necessary, discipline is a component in love. Just like you weed a garden. The garden is not meant to be, it's not, the goal is not weeding the garden. The goal is that flowers should grow. But you need to get rid of weeds because there are toxic influences, there are street influences, there are social influences, there are all kinds of influences in the world. So as a parent, as a gardener, a good gardener, you need to take care of all of it. But what's lacking is so often is, yes, exactly what we spoke about, about the dignity being violated. Many parents are violating the dignity of their children. I would submit because they're violating their own dignity. And perhaps their dignity was violated by their parents and adults. Nurturing a child's self-esteem. I'm not talking about spoiling. I'm not talking about just giving in to everything they want. 
I'm not talking about just no discipline at all. We're talking about sensing a deep love, that your priority is your child. I would put that up on the list as the number one thing. God gave you a child to watch over. You're the gardener of your home. And whatever you do affects this child. The first impressions of a child are going to be from its parents. How to love, how to communicate, how to deal with challenges, how to deal with anger. Everything is going to be learned from parents. Keep that in mind every moment of your life. And you'll be immediately a better parent. Now parenting is not something that we, none of, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. We're not perfect human beings. But we have to be honest human beings and accountable. And not blame others for our problems. So often children, parents project their problems on their children, whether they know it or not. Their own low self-esteem, so they get their children to help reinforce their self-esteem, to almost worship them. They take out their anger, they take out their insecurities. Your children are gifts from God. Tire, precious, treasured children who are like freshly fallen snow. And our goal is not in any way to trample on that, to preserve, to protect, to nurture, to reveal the inner confidence of their own neshamash and nesata bitahedi. That's pure. That's the yisod of everything. Everything follows from that commitment. And yes, understanding every child is different. A good loving child, parent who pays attention, as I just said, is sensitive, will recognize that two children may need something a little different than one another. It's not just one, one size fits all or one, one generic approach and here just let everybody get on the, the, the line and just treat everybody equally. No. Controlling anger. Yes, when you know that you have God's child before you, what right do you have to get angry at your child? And even when there's a need because of discipline, it has to be planned out. Not type of uncontrollable rage or anger where you're taking it out. How to deal with chutzpah and some of the others I will address in the next weeks. What to let pass and so on. But I wanted to just begin this discussion, especially in the nine days, where yes, much of, it, much of the nine days, and especially in the weeks afterwards when we read about the Shiva and the Chemta, the seven weeks of consolation are all about the child. I wrote a whole series of articles eight, nine years ago how you find so much about the child, the child, the Jewish people being compared to the child that has been hurt, the child that's violated, the child seeking its parent, the love needed to give the child. So I thought it appropriate to talk about Malchus, the Tikkun of Malchus, the Binyan of Malchus, the repair and restoration of dignity, which parents are the front lines from the earliest age. This doesn't take away from educators and others involved in anyone's life, but we're talking here about parents. Okay, one more question, and then we'll go to the Chassidus question. That question is unfiltered internet. Oh, one second. One more question, one more follow-up before I go to that question. The question was about secular sources. You know what? I'll push that off to next week so we could do it to time limits. Um, because it's a very interesting letter from the Rebbe that I'd like to read the whole letter to you. But I'll do that next week, secular sources that will address. So that is a commitment. Now, unfiltered internet. Do the Rebbe Sikhs about television also apply to unfiltered internet? I think it's safe to say that anything that was, is on TV, is on the internet. One Nekudah. In the Esophis of Chelik Yud Ches, Kudah Sikhs that is, 
When the Rebbe is speaking about TV, the Rebbe says that other people see that you have a TV and they don't know what you're using it for. And they will end up using it not for the same reason you are using it for. I'm not looking in the safer while I type this. Excuse me if I'm misquoting. Okay. Fine. So I discussed this topic actually in episode 117, almost word for word in this question. I'll just add that, yes, absolutely, with the television the idea of bringing in things that are, the Rebbe said once, she said, you bring in Mama Shaveh Zara, idolatry, or other toxic and unhealthy and, un- and prohibited material, applies to the internet. The only difference I would make is that the television was an optional thing then, and the internet is almost becoming non-optional. What I mean by that is, yes, you can control your children, you can control yourself, but it's extremely difficult to expect that most people will not be able to not use the internet at all because it's becoming like a, it's become like a telephone. It is your phone. However, the concerns are the same. It's just we need a lot more offense today to make sure that that's the best defense. Whether it's filters or other things that help, they could help. But the problem is that we have to understand technology as being a force that can be used for good. Ultimately, that is the way to win this battle. But the prohibitions and the concerns are the same, obviously. The question is the solutions and the interventions. That I spoke about in episode, I said, 117. Let's go to the Chassidus question. The Chassidus question is about Shabbos Chazen. What is the story with Shabbos Chazen? Please explain the meaning of personal and personal relevance of the Badichev Rebbe's teaching that we are all shown the third temple on Shabbos Chazen. This coming Shabbos, this year is also Tisha B'Av. So the Badichev has a Teda that's printed in in Eda Teda Nach, volume 2, page 1097. The Rebbe published it. This is in the Rishimus and Echa that were first published in a separate kuntas. The Rishimus are the commentary on Eicha that the Tzemach Tzedek wrote. The Rebbe published it, and he included, because the Tzemach Tzedek says something that's Meramiz V'Sechzeno about Shabbos, the Shabboses of Benam Tzor and the Shabbos Chazain, and the Rebbe brings this tater from the name of Hillel Parcher. The Shabbos Chazain means, it comes from the word vision. Because in them Shabbos, Marin L'Kol Echad V'Echad, The Rebbe says, this is called everybody, also children, both boys and girls, that you show everybody the future from a distance. And here's the exact, the Baditshavar gives a marshal. From a father who had a very precious son, he weaved for him a beautiful, a very uh, beautiful garment to dress up in. But due to the fact the child was not careful, he did all kinds of things that you shouldn't be doing. He ended up tearing the garment into, into, into pieces. So the father made for him a second garment. And again, he tore it. What did the father do? This time he made a third garment, but he did not give it to his son. He hid it, concealed it. And from time to time, known times, he shows him this garment and says, look, if you behave properly, I will give you this garment to wear. And through that, he gets him used to. 
he trains him and gets him some used to to go in the right, the right path until he knows for sure that this becomes his nature. Not just he's doing it, it becomes natu- nature to him, natural. Then he gives him the garment to dress him up because then he's not afraid that he will return back to his evil ways because now it's become his natural way. So that's the meaning we show the Beis Amigdash. So the Rebbe goes into the big question. Nobody's ever seen the Beis Amigdash. So what, why do we show it? And he compares it to the thing that we hear a Baskal every day and we don't hear it. So it says the Neshami hears it, the Chruzim. But the Rebbe negates that answer. And it's interesting, the Rebbe actually wrote in his own handwriting, this is printed in Sefer HaSichas Tov Shem I'm, I'm reading page 504, the Sikha begins page 500, and the Rebbe says like this, We have a similar question, how could you command someone, to regulate someone to love? And the answer is, the command is to, is to contemplate. What's the kavona there? There should be love in the heart. The kruzim that we are so, shown, even though we don't see them, there the kavon is true as Bnei Yisrael. Shabbos Chazain, showing the base of is our hergal halicha b'derech hayesha. That we should get used to following b'derech hayesha. So even though we may not see the base of you see the result in the fact that a person actually becomes naturally going the right path. So you know that the base of some somewhere had an effect on him. You have to read the seichim for the elaboration of it, but the bottom line is that's his particular focus, training us to become naturally inclined toward doing what we need to do. Just as a little footnote, I may have mentioned this a number of times, I prepared the sikha, but when writing it, it came across, I guess I didn't, get the, I didn't capture the point properly, and it came across as if the Bishamilish is actually seen. So the Rebbe wrote, like almost humorously, he said, Kenira, it appears that the Reshim, the person who wrote this, saw the Bishamilish with his own eyes in the year Tov Shem Vav and Tov Shem Zayin. Never wrote both those years. So, Amai <laughs> Cheshbon, which is perfectly fine, but even, I guess, even Havamina from Areb is also. So maybe there's something I've seen, even though I can't point out it. I wish I could say that I have the Hergal Alicha B'derech HaYosher. So it's a beautiful Sikh. What the bottom line is, this, this isn't just a muscle. This has personal relevance. The relevance is that we get power. Sometimes we're shown something, and we may not see the thing itself, but its impact affects us. And the fact is we get power when we think about the nine days and when you think about the destruction and you think about the reasons and you think about the garment that was given to us and we could not appreciate it. You, it makes you rethink it all and say, maybe this time I'll appreciate it. This time I will become a better person. So the relevance is vital. It's teaching us the power of Shabbos Chazain, a vision that each of us experiences and just have to open ourselves up, because like anything, you can see something, you can hear something. If your eyes are closed, or you're distracted, or you go off and do other things, it obviously won't have the impact. But we're told that Shabbos Chazain has such an impact on each one of us. In order, in each one of us to get used to, get, to train ourselves and be trained to do things the right way, to become naturally people inclined toward goodness and kindness and following God's will. And Teda Mitzvahs. Okay. So that's a lesson from Shabbos Chazain. Now let us go to the three essays. We do three essays. One, one English, two Hebrew this week. And here's how they go. First one is Overcoming Life's Challenges with Amun and Betochen by Esti Laub, Lau, Lau, age 34, Vancouver, Vancouver, British Columbia. 
Shlucha at the University of British Columbia. Unfortunately, there are many external and internal challenges that we all face, yet some people seem to be presented with more painful situations and challenges in life than others. How do we stay strong in the face of these challenges? This essay will discuss the methods that Chassidus teaches us how to face suffering and challenges, namely by having complete amuna, faith, and betachin, trust in Hashem. goes on to cite the, the Altareb in Tanya, the different ways the Altareb explains this. Uh, compares it somewhat with Man's Search of Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and of course focuses on Samach Tzedek's expression, Trach good, Vedzayn good, think good, and will be good. Nicely done, um, and brings it together with uh, the story of the Rabashkin's release from prison this year, Pep Hanukkah, and a nice, really nicely and inspiring, and it is posted as all these new essays as we read them and we review them every week at MeaningfulLife.com slash MyLife. Also, if you subscribe to our weekly emails, we send out the new posts of these essays. They're wonderful to read, inspiring, in the language of the, obviously, of each of the essays, which is tremendous, because you just see how different people, the different lenses that people use to look at chassidus and apply it to life's challenges. The next essay is in Hebrew, Eating Properly According to chassidus. This is by El Shalom Toiv Na'ar, age 19, Mitzpah Ilan Israel, Yeshiva's Takoa. Okay, um, obviously the, the title suggests that we live in a time of plenty. And um, we, don't, we have abundance in food and, and all supplies and resources. And this essay addresses how it can be all directed toward healthy means and healthy goals according to Chassidus. And it's a very practical essay. There's a whole bunch of steps that eating is so much part of our lives to have conscientious eating, but especially Hasidic style. Obviously, to say Hasidic style, Chassidus is not about eating, but it infuses a meal with a kedusha, with a focus, and with a higher purpose. And he continues to compare it to different um, shittas out there, different uh, theories on... Uh, Theological theories on food, and then the, the Hasidic approach of elevating, of elevating the material to the spiritual, spiritualizing matter. Very nicely done, and well worth reading as well. I'm trying to look for the summation here at the end. Later of the lechem lemayim, that ultimately the goal not to be hungry for bread or thirsty for water, but for dvar Hashem, for the word of God. So even, but the meal itself is also meant to lead a person to that place, and. Um, Placing food and meals in the right context of their means to reach higher spiritual goals. Finally, essay number three, The Enemy Within the Psychological Challenges of Our Times, by Anna Kara Ivanov, age 36, Mala, Mala Abdumim, Israel. She works a project, Nala, a psychological project, Nala, it's called a psychology project. In Hebrew, Nisyonot Shalzmanenu. Basically talking about our unprecedented age, again, where we have complete, we have such prosperity, access to everything. And yet, at the same time, people are depressed. People feel sad. How is that possible? She goes into the, the challenges today are not without, but within. It's not an enemy without, it's the enemy within, and that is the psychological challenges of our own inner self. 
very well done in analyzing the challenges, particularly in a prosperous time, in a comfortable time. And how one can, once you recognize that, and recognize that a Nisoyen, a test, really is an illusion. It's just something put there that seems to conceal the reality, but it's not real. And that's a, it's a psychological enemy, much more than a real enemy. And it could be in many ways even more formidable. Once you recognize that, how to turn that around. Again, a good essay, a well done essay. Thank you for that. And with that, we shall conclude this episode of My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 221, right here in Kibbalov, preparing our way to Heyov, preparing our way to Shabbos Chazain. May it be a true Chazain, a vision. The vision that about the vision of the Beis Amidash Ashlishi, that the vision should become a Virklachkeit a real reality in our lives because we'll have finally learned the lesson over almost 2,000 years that we're only being shown this garment, only being shown this Beis HaMikdash, and they finally prove and demonstrate that we will appreciate it because we've trained ourselves, not just to take for granted, but we trained ourselves, we don't just take for granted this gift, but we trained ourselves to truly be worthy of having the Beis HaMikdash Ashlishi and the Veshachanti Besechim that comes with it. We will be here next Sunday. People have asked me, I said, what better time to, to learn Chassidus together? We'll be here at 8 p.m. at the end of the Tishbah of Nitche. Halavayat should be already Nitche Legamri with the Geula. But either way, we shall be here 8 to 9 p.m. Everyone have a very blessed week, a transformational week, and may we reveal the great goodness that lies in these days to our commitment to Teirah, Tzedakah, learning Hechaz Beis Abchira, and all the, all the directives that the Rebbe gave us, especially for this period in time. Everyone have a very blessed week. Thank you.